This is the visible hand. My name is Jordi Blanes Vidal. My guest today is Stefano Fiorin, who is an assistant professor at the Ettore Bocconi Department of Economics. Today we are going to talk about his paper, Reporting Peers Wrongdoing, Experimental Evidence on the Effect of Financial Incentives on Morally Controversial Behavior, which is forthcoming at the Journal of the European Economic Association. Stefano, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to talk to you today. So, Stefano, can we start by defining what does morally controversial behavior mean, both in general and then specifically in the context of Afghanistan, which is the setting in which the paper takes place? Absolutely. So when I talk about morally controversial behavior, essentially what I mean is a behavior that combines uh, two components, a pro-social component, meaning as a result of your action, you might have a positive externality on someone else and an anti-social component. That is, as a result of that same action, you might also have a negative externality in sense on, on someone else. Okay. So going more specifically into my context, I'm studying whistleblowing, which I think is one of the most prominent situations in which this morally controversial behavior arises, right? Because whenever you want to blow the whistle on some type of uh, misbehavior, you are going, of course, to potentially harm uh, the, the person that you are reporting. And we might think that that is something antisocial to do. But on the other hand, you have also a pro-social motivation for doing it, which is helping the victim of the misbehavior itself. And so I think that we have good evidence in the literature about, you know, pro-social uh, type of behaviors and antisocial type of behaviors. What I'm interested in is trying to understand a more complicated behavior, which is controversial in the sense of combining both. And in the context of uh, Afghanistan? Yes. So in the context of Afghanistan, I'm looking at the whistleblowing, right? And I'm specifically focusing on teachers that are asked to report on the absenteeism or on the absence of their colleagues. And I say that this is especially controversial here because, you know, as a teacher, on the one hand, you want to help your kids. You might have the students and you might have their future at heart, right? And so you don't want uh, them to miss on school days because some of your colleagues are absent. But on the other hand, you might be working as a teacher on a very tight-knit community. And so you might especially feel bad about reporting one of your colleagues for being absent from school. So if I was a firm deciding how to maximize profits, and I'm thinking of a particular action, this action may be associated with a change in revenues, which is good for me, a change in cost, which is bad for me. And then I'm weighing here whether the increase in revenue is higher than the increase in cost or decreasing revenue relative to decreasing, whatever it is. And on the basis of this calculation, which in many cases is like a financial calculation, I decide whether to take the decision or not. Here, you also have benefits and costs in terms of this action. The main challenge is, in a sense, a challenge of measurement because both the benefits and the cost of this action are moral, therefore they are kind of hidden to the to the social researcher, right? So this is going to be a little bit of a challenge in that throughout we, we may be able to discuss some things that may be going on, but it is going to be hard to say 
you know, this, the revenues here or the, the, the benefits of the action, which is the, the benefit to the parties that are benefited by the action are higher than the cost of the other people that are harmed and so on. Yes. So that is exactly right. What I have in mind, this type of moral cost benefit analysis. And as you say, you know, there is to some extent the real benefit that, you know, the potential victim is uh, getting from uh, the misbehavior being reported. That is the actual cost of the person that is being reported. But then from the decision maker point of view, what really matters is how they weight these two, right? So how they enter this uh, utility function. And that is something extremely hard to measure, right? And in this paper, indeed, I am not going to provide a measurement of the externalities on the one side or on the other side. What I try to do is through an experimental design, trying to make sure that I manipulate those so that I can understand just by observing behavior, what could be indeed the moral reasoning uh, that is at that's right. So you're mentioning an element that I had overlooked a little bit, which was that it's not the consequences to the actual people who are affected by this action, but the weighing of these consequences by the decision maker, especially because in the case of Afghanistan, broadly speaking, we would agree that the benefit of reporting the absence of your colleagues from a social perspective should be associated with you know, an overall benefit because the benefits for the children should be orders of magnitude higher than the cost, you know, but here the weighing by the decision maker is what makes the the decision tricky. No, that, that's right. So we have some evidence of how high are indeed the returns to education in Afghanistan. So there is some nice papers that show that even just having, you know, teachers that are not so well qualified that just be just coming from the community, but indeed showing up at school and teaching something has very large effects. And, you know, in this type of population, we might care especially about building this type of human capital. Uh, but it is also true that everything, you know, the decision maker now is not the, the policy maker, is not the social planner. And so it is. it depends on how they consider this. So absenteeism is also like a big issue in Afghanistan, correct? Yes, exactly. So the starting point from the paper is that there is indeed a lot of absenteeism. So we conducted an announced audit visits for this project and for another larger project in about 400 schools in Afghanistan. And we found that about 18% of teachers that are paid according to the payroll uh, records are actually not present at school during an announced audit visit. This is a high number, but it is pretty much in line actually with evidence from other developing countries. So we have just covered the morally controversial behavior part of the title. Now, the title also includes the word, the effect of financial incentives. Why do we think that financial incentives may affect the decision as to whether uh, engage in this type of morally controversial behavior or not from a theoretical perspective? So let's go back for a second to what you said earlier on, right? So the social planner might think that reporting is the action that should happen, right? Because according to the social planner point of view, we want to have more reporting. Now, what type of instruments does a social planner have? Well, as economists, right, we think that people react to incentives and monetary incentives could be indeed a way for increasing the, the level of reporting, right? So how much people engage in whistleblowing. And the basic idea is that if you offer a, a 
monetary reward for doing an action, the supply of this action should increase. From another point of view, of course, as behavioral economists, we know that incentives do not always work as we intend them to whenever the action that we are trying to incentivize has some moral component to it, right? So we studied a lot, for example, what is the effect of incentives on prosocial types of behavior, for example. And we know that sometimes those type of incentives crowd out, for example, the intrinsic motivation of an agent. We know that sometimes, for example, if we offer incentive for blood donations, that might not necessarily increase level of donation that might actually backfire. And so I wanted to understand whether when the, the choice is even more complicated than a decision to donate blood because it is morally controversial, what is the effect of incentives in this case? And Afghanistan, in addition to being a setting in which there is a lot of absenteeism, it is also a setting in which we may think that these incentives may backfire. Like, for instance, given the fact that the, say, social ties of a teacher who is asked to report on their colleagues have to these colleagues, right? Because these are like small, tightly knit communities in which everybody knows each other, They're maybe very far away from the rest of the country, right? So we have to <laughs> to stay together no matter what, you know? And these teachers may develop some also ties of friendship among themselves, who, which obviously also affect this moral cost of, of harming others. That's right. So because of the fact that there are tight-knit communities or that the people that I might have to report are my peers or my friends, the overall level of reporting might be low, as we discussed. But also there might be a differential effect of what happens when the incentive of are offered, right? And so here, if you particularly have a, an aversion to being paid for an action that you know has the potential to arm a peer, it might be that we see incentive backfire. And indeed, this is what I will find. Okay, so let's now move to discussing the experiment that you actually run. Can you describe a little bit, you know, what the setting of the experiment is and the, what are the treatments and so on? Yes, sure. So for this project, I went to Afghanistan and I started to design in collaboration with the Ministry of Education an experiment that involved teachers within about 150 schools and they are distributed across three different provinces in Afghanistan. So the experiment basically is such that teachers are called over the phone and are asked to report on their colleagues' absence during the previous week, so the week before the experiment. Now, because I want to study what is the effect of monetary incentives, I have a, a control group in which I do not offer any type of monetary incentives and another treatment group instead in which for every colleague that is reported as absent, the teachers are going to get 100 Afghans in, in terms of monetary incentives. And, you know, just to have a sense of the magnitude, if a teacher decides to report 10 colleagues, they can make as much as they would make by working a couple of days in their school, given their regular job. Now, by comparing, of course, the treatment that they control group, I can see what happens whenever I offer the incentives on the willingness to report or not to report. A second important component, though, of my experimental design, and I think this is what is really the most innovative one, is one that tries to understand what is the moral reasoning at 
play and whether morality can indeed affect the effectiveness of the monetary incentives. So what I do here is to manipulate the perceived consequentiality of the reports. So I have a two-by-two two design in which I cross-randomize the monetary incentives with this potential consequentiality condition. And so in one group, I tell to participants that everything that is going to happen with their reports is that I will write an academic study, an academic report based on them. And I guarantee them that there will be no consequentiality whatsoever on their colleagues that they report. In the possible punishment group instead, I keep open the possibility that the reports might be forwarded to the Ministry of Education. And so they might generate some possible punishment for, for their reported colleagues. Now, because of this, you see that I am basically activating the moral reasoning because the, the potential to arm colleagues makes such that the choice is very morally controversial, right? So it has the potential to harm, but also the potential to, to help out the kids. On the other side, the choice to report absenteeism just for an academic study is relatively more morally neutral. And so if I see a differential effect of the monetary incentives in one uh, situation versus the other, I can really try to understand that this must have to do with the uh, consequentiality of the reports and so with the morality of the choice. So just to be clear about this like two by two design. So typically with this, uh, with experiments, there's like a control group and then a treatment group or something. But here, every group is treated because you need to treat every group in order to give them the opportunity to report their colleagues as absent or not, right? So, so there is no group of teachers in Afghanistan who have never heard of you, right? For which you are measuring things, but there is never any connection with experimenter, okay? So it is two by two, but everybody's treated in some sense. The question is, I mean, some of the treatments are, of course, like stronger than others, but, you know, everybody has an interaction there. Then, as you said, number one, we pay you every time that you report a colleague or not, okay? So monetary rewards versus not. Number two, what you call as possible punishment, you hint that there is maybe some chance that this report will be passed to the Minister of Education and bad stuff will happen, right? A bit unclear about what this means. I know that you have like two different settings in which you hint that maybe more severe or less severe, but let's forget about that. You know, some bad stuff may happen. I had like this uh, introduction because I want to emphasize and see whether you agree with me in that the way that you're describing this as morally neutral versus morally charged is correct in the sense that in the perceived punishment, both the moral cost and the moral benefit change, right? Look, like if we're going to do something with a report, well, on the one hand, the children may benefit, so that's the, the potential benefit. On the other hand, the colleague may be harmed. So that's a potential cause. So we cannot say here in moving from one treatment to another that the benefit is increasing and the cost is remaining unchanged or the other way around. But both benefit and cost are changing. We, of course, don't know by how much. I mean, until we study this, we don't know which one is increasing by more. But this is something that qualitatively is happening. 
That is absolutely right. So to some extent, I would have loved to be able to manipulate both the pro-social component and the anti-social component separately. This was not possible in the context that I study, or perhaps not at the time in which I was doing the experiment. If you want somewhere else, someone could think about the, this possible design, right? So you might think that you promise teachers that if they report a colleague as absent, nothing will happen to that colleague, but the school will look for and hire an extra teacher, right? So this will have the potential to help the kids because now they will have a good teacher that can teach and there will be no potential harm. Now, this is something very complicated, of course, because if you want to promise this, then you need to be able to implement it. But it would have been a way to actually disentangle, you know, activating only the pro-social component without the anti-social component. Still, I was interested in looking at whistleblowing, which, you know, in its essence, essentially activate both at the same time. And I wanted to compare it with some that is completely morally neutral in the sense that, you know, nothing is happening. And so I think still that comparison uh, allows me to, to say a lot about the, the morality at play here. Just going uh, back to the plumbing of the, of the experiment, uh, one thing that you did not mention that I, I think is important is that every experimental subject is asked about 10 colleagues, but in that survey that you ran in advance of the experiment, you knew what colleagues were absent and you knew which ones for which you could not tell that they were absent. So therefore you 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 choose these 10 colleagues such that seven of them were absent, such that they have the opportunity to report somebody, and then three were present, or or you cannot tell that they, they were absent. Uh, you know, so it's not like if we observe somebody not reporting anybody, it's not because there were no absent colleagues that week. Okay. But you are designing it such that, you know, in some sense to minimize the measurement error here, it's, it's not that the experiment wouldn't work out from a causal inference perspective, but to minimize measurement error. Yes. So I agree with that as well. And thanks for bringing it up. So I think I had two reasons why I wanted to, to do this, right? And to create variation into whether I had colleagues that could be reported. So first of all, I didn't want to call schools in which everyone is always present because there wouldn't be anyone to report to begin with, and this wouldn't be very informative. So when I talked to you before about this 18% of schools absenteeism within schools, I concentrate on the schools in which there are enough absentees teachers. On, on top of that, you know, a lot of the discussion of whistleblowing incentives is centered around the fact that, of course, if we introduce monetary incentives, the overall level of whistleblowing is going to increase. And the concern is just that the quality of the whistleblowing might decrease, right? So people might start to report pretty much at random or people that maybe did not fully engage in misbehaviors just because they have a hope to actually cash in the reward. And this is pretty much most of the discussion about whether we should offer incentives or not is centered around this. And so while I bring up also, you know, this idea that we just discussed, that is, uh, this is not guaranteed, there might be an actual backfiring because of all of the moral reasoning. I also wanted to contribute to this question. And so the fact that I have three employees that were present before, seven that were absent, will allow me to see whether people report more those that I know to be more likely to have been absent or those that were present. And this will allow me to say something about the accuracy of the reports that I observe. So we, we will go to the accuracy of the reports in a second, but just from a conceptual perspective, it will seem here that the level of the incentives that you are giving them are really, I would expect, is going to matter a lot. Like you said, two days of work, you know, this is not nothing. 
But like a good analogy here would be with torture, right? Like if you were to torture these uh, teachers and ask them under duress to denounce their colleagues, you will get a 100% reporting rate, you know, given uh, sufficiently brutal methods. But of course, they will be completely unreliable, at least many of them, right? So I don't know, the, the Stalinist period will be one in which there is out of denouncing with, you know, d- very dubious uh, accuracy. No, that's right. And so the level of the incentives in my experiment is fixed, right? So I didn't have enough units essentially to try to randomize that as well. And it would have been extremely interesting to try to trace out the supply given different amount of incentives. I want to be clear here that the message of the paper is not that no level of incentives would have actually worked in promoting extra whistleblowing. What I want to say is that it seems that definitely whenever you pay someone for blowing the whistle, you might be increasing you know, the direct benefit of that action. And so this will lead to extra reporting. But there is also a part that has to do with morality, which instead tends to backfire. Now, maybe if I start to offer a million dollars right, for reporting, there is a little bit of backfiring because of morality, but it is much more than compensated by the direct incentive effect. And you know, whenever we are considering whether to offer these incentives or not, we need to understand as an organization, what is the budget that we have for doing that, and would we expect this to be enough to compensate for the effect that I should? Okay, good. So the dependent variable is the reporting of your colleague's absence. You have like two ways of running your regressions or doing your comparisons or something. One of them is in which the dependent variable is, do you report anybody at all? And the second is, do you report that specific person? And there, obviously, you are going to use like a data set that has 10 observations per experimental subject, because an observation is an experimental subject and a colleague, and there are 10 colleagues per experiment. But broadly speaking, I think that you kind of get the same results either way. So in terms of whether you report anybody at all or not, given this two by two design that you mentioned earlier, can you tell us what are the numbers reported absence for each of these four cells that we were discussing earlier? Yes, absolutely. So what I find is that when I don't offer any incentives and when I say that there is going to be no consequentiality of the reports, I find that 6% of the participants report at least one colleague as absent in the week before the experiment. If I offer incentives to this group, I find that incentives are indeed effective. So the reporting rates increase to 12%. I also find that in the absence of any incentives, making sure, right, so introducing the idea that that the reporting might be consequential, increase reporting by a lot. So it increases to up to 15%. And this, you know, indicates, if you want, that people are motivated to report because they want to help the school or the government in fighting this problem of absenteeism. But then the main results, I think the most interesting result of the paper is the fact that in this group, where there is the potential of having consequences because of the reporting, if I offer incentives, incentives backfire. So from 15%, 15% in the non-incentivized group, the reporting goes down to 10%. So we have a 5 percentage point or about a one-third reduction of reporting because of the incentives. So a lot of the paper is really in these four numbers. I'm going to repeat them again. 
when I was reading the paper, it was useful for me to just put them in a table because as you put them in a two by two table, you can make the comparison across the columns or a comparison across the rows. You know, a lot of what we are discussing is precisely this. So again, if you tell the subjects there are going to be no consequences, this is an academic study, no monetary rewards, 6%. Monetary rewards, 12%. Okay, so that means that you double the amount of reporting with monetary incentives under the case of no consequences. Now, there are consequences. Under no incentives, 15%. And under monetary incentives, 10%. So this is what you are saying, the case in which incentives backfire. Because if somebody is going to be harmed and somebody is going to be benefited, okay? So is it the fact that this behavior is now, as you said, morally charged as opposed to morally neutral, that is just for an academic study? Then in that case, incentives decrease the reporting from 15% down to 10%. So this is the bit that you're using to say incentives backfire. That's right. So it is this difference between the 15% and the 10%. Notice that in some other papers, we talk about incentives backfiring. If the difference in difference between these you know, two settings generate a negative number, in the sense that having seen incentives not working at all, so having a 15% even in this last cell, would have still allow us to say, well, it doesn't seem to be the case that we see that 6% increase in reporting due to incentives that we saw in the non-controversial uh, treatment. Here, the, the sense in which incentives backfire is even stronger than that, right? So we see a natural reduction in overall reporting. I, I think that your result is really the one in which incentives backfire. I don't know the papers that you are referring to, but the fact that incentives have a lower positive effect under some condition than, than the other, that can be explained by, say, some type of convex cost of effort or, you know, there are other bits that are like part of the functional form that can easily explain this. Your result is the one that really deserves, okay, the tag of incentives backfire. Mm -hmm. The number goes down and it goes down from 15% to 10% in a also statistic. I mean, we should add, of course, but in a statistically significant way. So th this is good. This is... Essentially, I guess the main message of the paper, incentives backfire when the decision is morally controversial. Now, and this is because we're comparing the 15% uh, with the 10%, which is the effect of no incentives with incentives under the possible punishment. You said that this is the main effect. Of course, earlier you mentioned that the incentives do not always backfire because under the no consequences, you increase the reporting from 6 to 12. Okay, so... It's also interesting the fact that it's not something about incentives per se, but about the interaction between incentives. And the other comparison that I wanted to make, and again, thinking of this as a two by two table is really instructive, is in terms of doing the, within my table is like the raw com comparison. That is, you take the, the no incentive case, you're not paying anybody for anything, and now you're comparing no punishment with potential punishment. The two numbers are 6% under no punishment to 15% under potential punishment. That's a big increase. I was wondering whether you have any type of idea as to why the amount of reporting multiplies by two and a half 
when you increase the consequences of this? Yes. So I think what is these numbers right are telling us is that the participants are not interested in reporting real cases of absenteeism just for my own academic research. Maybe because they perceive this to be somewhat of a risky choice, right? Or that has some cause for them reporting others. And they are willing to do that only if they think that there might be some potential consequences for those that, that they report and potentially something that can help out the kids, right? So I also run some uh, surveys of uh, separately from the experiment with uh, teachers, including those that participated in the experiment and some of their colleagues. And when I ask them whether it is a good idea to report uh, whenever reporting is not incentivized, those to tell me that, yes, it is a good idea, say that reporting is important because, you know, they care about the future of the country, they care the, about the future of their school, or they care about the future of the students. And so it is clear that it is this pro-social type of motivation, which is what is behind this 6% to 15% increase. But the way that we were describing it earlier in terms of having like a moral benefit and a moral cost, here, clearly the benefit is bigger than the cost because the number has increased, right? So that will be, at least under certain conditions, you know, like the, the benefits can increase more than the cost. Exactly. So I think what we have is that for, you know, these uh, 9% of people that decide to report now, it must have been the case that they, they think that the benefit that would be there for the kids or for whoever in society benefits from reporting is higher than the cost of harming their colleagues. So the other thing that you were mentioning earlier is, and I think that we can go relatively uh, quickly on this, is the fact that you have independent measures. You mentioned one of them, but you have others as to whether these people that are reported on or not were actually absent or not. You mentioned that you have like an audit that you run, like this unannounced visits. You have other measures as well. Could you comment on what other measures you have and whether incentivizing this reporting led to more reporting of the false type or not? Absolutely. So as you mentioned, I have measures that are based on an announced audit visit. A second measure is based on the logbooks within the schools. So I can see whether in the logbook someone resulted as present or absent. And then I also have the fact that within each school, I have multiple participants. And so I can cross-check whether once I ask them to report on the same 10 colleagues, if someone is reported as absent by one, they are also more likely to be reported as absent by someone else. And so so generally speaking, I always find that any of these measures of absenteeism are highly correlated with the chance of being reported. So before you mentioned that I have two types of regressions, right? So this is the regression in which I check whether any participants report any specific colleagues, and they are much more likely to report someone who was indeed absent. For example, someone who was absent during the unannounced audit visit is more than three times more likely to be reported than someone who was not absent then. And then with respect to your second question, we want to understand whether incentives, for example, are going to affect the accuracy of the reports. And overall, I don't find any evidence in favor of this hypothesis. So it seems that the overall accuracy of the reports is not affected by the incentives that I offer. You don't know whether the reports are accurate or not with 100% certainty, but you have some imperfect measures. Like they are meaningful in that these imperfect measures predict the actual reporting or not, but they are completely unrelated to monetary incentives, et cetera, et cetera. So 
we can just move on in that there doesn't seem to be an effect on whether individuals are lying or not. Yes, that's correct. And I want to emphasize how the fact that I don't have, you know, an ability to save with 100% certainty whether the reporting is accurate or not is a feature of this design, right? So offering incentives to someone for reporting an ad on which they know that the principal, right, is able to uh, verify whether they are lying or not is very different from instead reporting when you know that that information might be relevant because it reduces noise for the principal that is uh, seeking that information. So you have a section on mechanisms, and I was wondering whether you could discuss what are the potential mechanisms behind this, especially on the ones that you cannot completely rule out. There are some, let's talk about these ones later, that you can easily rule out, but the ones that you cannot rule out, what are they, and and so on. So I think those that are harder to rule out are uh, explanations that are still based on some version of morality, okay, that has to do with moral decision making. So what I my main interpretation for the finding is that uh, individuals are averse to being paid for harming others, and that is why they don't report okay, when they are paid. An alternative, you know, explanation, for example, is that uh, individual might be motivated by some level of prosociality, and this is why the report. But once we introduce some type of incentives, this prosociality motivation is crowded out because now they have true potential motivation for reporting, either being prosocial or receiving money. And this creates a little bit of confusion if you want. And so they are not as, as motivated by the prosociality component anymore. Now, I don't rule out that part of this mechanism is what might be uh, behind my findings. But I think that, you know, the fact that I collect some extra survey data in which I ask individuals whether it is the right thing to do to report colleagues or not, especially when reporting is incentivized, make me believe that the reasons why they don't report so much when they are paid have to do with the fact that they don't like the payment itself. So it is not that they they see the choice in a different way. It is that they dislike the idea of being paid for helping others. And indeed, this is what they tell me, right? So they say, I would report if I was not paid or I don't think that it is the right thing to do to report when there is a pain in place. Let me tell you my reading of this section, <laughs> because so I admittedly come from a little bit like removed from this literature. It is possible that you are, if you are like really embedded in this type of literature, there are very clear differences between economic mechanisms, between all these stories. But from the outside, it doesn't seem to me as if these mechanisms are all that different from each other. And if they were, I don't know that you are disentangling between them very much at all either, you know? So you ask the survey participants, do you think that receiving money for harming others is a bad thing? And among those who say yes, you find in the data that reporting when you are harming others is lower when you are paid for it. So in a way, what you are asking is kind of the result that you have. So it isn't surprising that among those who generated that result to you in the data, you find that they answer yes to the question of, is that result there in your behavior? Then the other thing is that you say, Oh, receiving money for reporting others when when it can harm them 
I don't see how this is so different than receiving money when you are taking actions that benefit others, which, as you discussed, is like crowding out the intrinsic motivation uh, to help others because these revenues and costs or benefits and costs that are anyway embedded in the moral compass of these individuals are really not so easy to disentangle from one another. So whether monetary incentives are bad because they are affecting the cost or they are affecting the benefit doesn't seem to me to be a very meaningful distinction. Okay, so let me comment on your points uh, one by one. So the first one, I want to be precise on how I use the data from the survey. So first of all, what I ask is whether they think that it is the right thing to do to report when reporting is incentivized. And I see that indeed a majority of people think that this is not the right thing to do, although they think that it is right to report if there are no incentives. And I don't think that this is obvious, right? That what you think is right to do would be affected by whether you are paid or not for it. And so I think this is informal. But also I want to add that I do not simply check whether if you tell me that you wouldn't want to report if you are paid, you indeed don't report. What I do is to construct a measure of what is their opinion of other colleagues in your school. And I find that if the majority of your colleagues say that it is not right to report uh, when the money is there, then in those schools, I see that there is a backfiring of the report, right? But I always exclude the opinion of the person that I have in the experiment. So I'm not simply looking at whether you are consistent with what you say. I'm checking to some extent of whether there are different social norms about whether money is acceptable or not in different settings. And I find that this is the case and that incentives backfire only in those schools where the majority of people think that it is not right to be paid for any others. You are correct that I did not describe, sorry, that I did not correctly describe the way that you use this variable. I did not do this because as I was reading it, I was thinking that what you are using is the local opinion in the school as a proxy for the opinion of the individual, right? Like that with expectation that they are strongly correlated. And, you know, maybe we we just ask you to do something. So maybe you are kind of like you are justifying your own behavior in the experiment by answering the question to my survey. But there is this like underlying morality that you have as an individual that is tattooed in your head and that a good proxy for that is the local, you know, the average answer in your school, but still it is the local norm as a predictor of the individual norm, right? That, and therefore among those for whom we would expect that they have an individual norm that makes it like receiving incentives for reporting others is bad. Among those, it is more likely that you find the result. Right. So I agree with that interpretation. And if you want, one way of rephrasing that is that I show that there is some role also for culture. So whether incentives work or not depend on whether our culture is one in which incentives are appreciated or whether they are seen with some uh, suspicion. And so if you want, I'm showing that in those settings for those cultures, 
uh, and when I talk about culture for now, I'm talking about in a specific schools, that is what really matters. In order to try to understand this a little bit more, I try to check whether there is a difference between the two main ethnicities in Afghanistan. And so I, I see that among Pashtun, there is not such a strong aversion to be paid for arming others in the survey. And indeed, I don't see that the uh, incentives backfire that much. They do backfire, but to a lesser extent than they do among Tajik, which is a group in which clearly from the survey, they express a lot of aversion. And also when you check their behavior, you see that the incentives backfire. So from a more practical point of view, I think this tells us that the external validity of the results might depend on the culture, right, of the institution or of the countries that we're studying. And also this fact of running these simple surveys might be a way for any type of organization that is thinking about introducing reports before doing all of that to check what might be the potential response to that, right? So it might be enough to just ask employees whether they think that it is the right thing to do or, or not to report for money. And, and this would save potentially a lot of, of money that would be wasted otherwise. From a statistical power perspective, that's also interesting in that the Pashtuns are the majority group in Afghanistan. So I would expect that they are dominating your data set as well. So that yeah. means that most of the result is coming for actually from the minority group, right? And you still manage to find some statistically meaningful differences. So that's right that the sample is mostly Pashtun, but let me emphasize the backfiring is present also among Pashtun. It is just that the differential is not as large as it is among Tashik. Uh, what I was saying earlier on is that I can instead identify schools uh, not based on ethnicity in which clearly there is no backfiring effect. What about the mechanisms that you can definitely rule out? What are those and, and why can you... It is very clear that I can rule out that it is not that I'm paying people too little, for example, right? So it is not that the size of the incentives per se is leading to a backfiring because as an incentives of that same size was effective in incentivizing non-consequential reporting. And so I'm not paying people too little. I'm not paying people too much. If you want this extent, it is not that what is, is driving the results here. Another thing that I wanted to check and that I can rule out is that they incentives are not signaling that reporting is a risky action, right? So you might think that, you know, whistleblowing involves some risk because you're about to harm a colleague and this colleague can retaliate against you. If you are smart, right, you might think, oh, if someone is paying me because uh, they want me to report, it must be that in part that is a compensation for the fact that I'm, you know, exposed to some level of risk. And so the incentives could have signaled that the reporting was indeed risky or they could have increased the riskiness of reporting in case people are more upset of being reported for money. I don't find that this is the case. So first of all, I measure whether people think that reporting is risky. And I find that a lot of them perceive a high risk. So more than 70% of the individuals think that reporting is risky. And indeed, those that say that it is risky are less likely to report. But this is not differential uh, between treatment uh, conditions. And also, I find that the, that the incentives backfire both among those that are afraid of retaliation and among those that are not concerned about retaliation. Obviously, I think that this last mechanism is important to rule out because that will speak to something completely different that might be going on that has nothing to do with morality and all this. With respect to the earlier ones that we mentioned, let me just repeat that I wouldn't be particularly bothered, you know, with moral 
recognition of harming others for incentives or of going on the benefit side and so on. The, the four numbers that we were discussing earlier seem like important enough per se, but let me just ask you in terms of what the dependent variable is here, okay? Because this is something that there is like a, there are some field experiments that have come in the in the last few years in which you know the as as in yours the the, the right hand side variables are really interesting very creative the experiment is is you know very clear and it's really capturing something that feels really important but the left hand side variable is not you know perhaps of enormous consequences okay uh, so here, the left-hand side variable, just, just to say, uh, you know, to, to, to repeat it is whether to the experimenter, these uh, teachers reported a colleague as absent or not. Now, both from a practical perspective, but also for ethical considerations, this uh, reporting has no real-world consequences at all. In, in fact, probably, you know, the going around getting some Afghan teachers fired as a result of your site, that wouldn't really have passed any type of ethical, you know, uh, overview board. But this also means that the left-hand side variable feels, let's say, not as important uh, because it is a reporting to somebody who called you on a survey I'm not referring so much to the external validity, but in terms of if the left-hand side variable is not of enormous consequences, one might feel that small changes on the right-hand side can have like outside benefit, outside effects on on the left-hand side. Because if it is something that is not so important to me, then you know small considerations on how the experimenter interacts with me or not can have big effects on 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 this uh, you know like relatively low-stake decision. So. I would like to comment on on whether the way that I'm reading this is correct or not, or or if it is not, what do you say about it? So I think here I agree in part with what you're saying, and in some part uh, I think a little bit less. So I agree that there is no reason why we should care much about whether uh, you know individuals report absenteeism for an academic study. So I don't think that it is so relevant what happens uh, in the in the treatment group where I have no potential for consequentiality. That is just a treatment group that allow me to discuss a lot, as we just said about the mechanisms that are at play. But was a group that was designed pretty much just for that. It is also true, right, that in the potential consequentiality treatment, in the end, I'm not sending the, the report to the Ministry of Education. And this was because I didn't want to create a real harm for the people that are reported, but also for the people that do report, right? I couldn't guarantee completely their anonymity. I didn't know what the ministry would have done with that data. And so that is why I can only say that the main purpose for reporting is my academic study. But then there is only, you know, I just introduced the idea that the report reports might be forwarded. Remember that does the saying of the reports might be forwarded increase reporting by a lot, right? So from 6% to 15%. And I think this is evidence that, you know, a lot of people thought that indeed it was potentially consequential. When I debriefed them at the end of the survey saying that nothing was going to be shared with the Ministry of Education, some of them, uh, you know, reported their disappointment with this. And so it is clear that they had some expectation that consequences could be there. I think, you know, if I had to bet on what would happen 
happen if the government actually ran this experiment completely independently from me, we would see a much higher potentially level of reporting, right? So this is what the experimental evidence indicates in terms of direction. And I think that the incentives would have backfired potentially. I don't have reason to think why they would have backfired um, uh, differently from how they, they backfired here. Thank you, Stefano, for coming to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. Please visit our website, thevisiblehand.uk, for links to the other papers that we discussed. Introductory music and logo by Aitana Blanesiso, episode produced by Anderson Tan.